Yo, what's good people? It's your boy, Harry. I've been gone for a while. What you're saying? I hope everything is going great. So I have a podcast for you, recording in today in my home, in my own apartment, in my very humble abode, the place that I call home, furnished the way I like it, clean the way I like it, I love it the way I love it. This is my peaceful place, my peaceful joint, where I can sit and do what I do. And as you can hear in the background, there's some lo-fi music playing. So what's good, everyone? What's going on in your lives? I hope life is treating you well. And you're probably wondering what I've been up to. Well, at the moment, what I'm trying to do is keep growing myself, keeping calm about every single situation, not getting high too high and not getting low too low we like to keep it on the equilibrium um i don't know whether that's actually an actual word but i think it's having a more linear life not having if you had it on the graph you're not gonna have it spiking up too high and then spiking up too low we're in a transition period now Um, At this age, uh, time of the year, we are transitioning. And what are we transitioning to? So I wanted to talk about something which is close to my mind. Psychosis and me. My psychosis journey, how I got to a place where my mind was fractured, where I was hallucinating, where I was so depressed, I wanted to commit suicide, even though I didn't know that I wanted to commit suicide, but I threatened it so much so that police had to get involved, mental health team had to get involved, family had to get involved, and I'm now at a place where I am getting comfortable talking about this, and how did I get to here? Well, I read a book, I wrote, I read a book written by a famous British actor, David Harewood. He played the Martian Manhunter in Supergirl, and he was in Homeland. He was, he played a big part in there. I believe he was in there for two seasons or so, uh, if not three. Um, not pretty sure, but he was also in the movie. Um, uh, Black Diamond so he's quite a famous guy and in this book he talks about his own mental breakdown and the book itself is called let me think about it here maybe I don't belong here and I started to think about that maybe I don't belong here what does that mean maybe I don't belong here because there have been so many times where I've thought maybe I don't belong here and certainly the time I had psychosis and how long it it took for me to recover from it and the remnants of um, how my feelings are to today are something which are quite of a how can I say it's a conundrum to me I'm trying to figure it out. So, 
there are some big, big statistics uh, with regards to uh, psychosis and mental health, bipolar, uh, schizophrenia. So I've been diving deep into this, um, into this tragedy, tragedy. And tragically, something I want to talk about um, through this is my understanding of how people were affected in so many different ways. So if you didn't know, uh, I will tell you now, my brother, 36 years old and a young man no kids um, life ahead of him and uh, he was shot and killed by the police um, because of his bipolar and mental state now I go back to when I was arrested by police and then later on sectioned. I don't know whether you understand the word section. It means that under the Mental Health Act, 136 Mental Health Act, uh, you can be detained for your own welfare and for safety of others around you because you deem the danger to yourself and others can be detained so I was on a section 2 detention in after I was assessed in a mental health place at the Priory and I spent a few days there I don't know how long it goes it was for um, I think initially they could keep you there for 28 days and with hindsight, I think I should have stayed there for 28 days. Um, and I, I believe what happened during this point in time, I was able to fool the medical people, which personally didn't work to my advantage. It actually worked to my disadvantage. I personally believe I should have been there for the whole 28 days, having been taken care of. Um, I was never medicated. I was given sleeping tablets, uh, obviously, because I was struggling to sleep. Uh, I got fat. I put on 10 kilograms in a very short space of time. I was um, uh, highly medicated with um, antisuppressant medication at the time. And there was a high chance of my organ Rejecting. I had had, I just had a liver transplant, mind you. I just had a liver trans, transplant at that point. So you can imagine the doctors were frantic. Um, they sent me to a local hospital there where I man, managed to get a scan because um, the confrontation with the police was quite volatile. And um, I can imagine what my, I can imagine what people with mental health go through and the amount of especially black men who've been killed by police uh, just because police don't really understand um, uh, 
not trained properly with regards to mental health or I could be wrong maybe things have changed a little bit but um, when I was in crisis I was I was in such a terrible place I was in such a difficult place and I believe the first time I was sectioned I was sectioned by um, the police I believe uh, I believe my sister had to call ambulance because I threatened to kill myself mind you I don't have any recollection of this at all which is so tough in terms of I can imagine the kind of conversations I had with my sister I can imagine the conversations I had with people around me um, those of that have decided to tell me what I was like um, I believe I was extremely difficult I had moments where maybe I believed maybe I was very close to God I also had moments where I was really depressed and low and I also had moments where it was quite funny but all of this to me is hearsay so I don't know what to believe instead I think when you're in that place when you're struggling with a mental health illness nobody really understands um Prior to my, my brother dying, um, myself and he had connected and I remember him being so happy in the fact that we were having these open conversations about mental health and how people saw him and the shame, the shame that you have afterwards when you are lucid, when you are sane, is horrendous because I believe I, at the time, I'd lost sexual inhibitions. So the things that I'd done and some people have told me and the things that I said were were somewhat perverted, I I believe. So some of these things could be coming from your subconscious in a way. But um, that, that was the kind of place that I was. So... You can imagine that you have a confused mind, you have a confused human being, and with the help of um, the National Health Service, and the fact that I was sent to a private hospital, private being private, and I imagine it was costing the National Health Service a, a lot of money, so I believe they're trying to get you out of there as quickly as they can. Um, rather than keep you in there. I think it's important to remember that during this period of time, um, the people who I love are either terrified of me or are worried of my general health as a human being. And if we rewind the clock back over a couple of months ago when my brother died, I can imagine the lack of support in a country like Malawi, the lack of know-how in a country like Malawi, because we have lack of knowledge here in the UK where we have a great 
NHS. It's great for me, even though people complain, it's great for me because I've had a liver transplant from there. I've, I get very expensive medication at a very low cost. Um, so I feel blessed. But imagine where my brother would have been in terms of um, bipolar. Um, and, and for myself suffering psychosis, which psychosis now I'm led to believe is a symptom, is a symptom of a larger part of a fractured mind. So the first time I, psychosis um, highlighted itself to me, I was in hospital and I was hallucinating a lot. And I'm, when I say I was hallucinating a lot, it was a ridiculous amount of hallucinations. And I was paranoid. I felt everyone was talking about me. I felt people were out to get me. I really felt that the world was against me. So imagine how it is for people who are not really aware of mental health itself. People, and I'm talking about family here, the closest people that you have. They're seeing this strange behavior. You're acting, you're acting absolutely, completely utter nuts balls. That's what I'll call it, nuts balls. I'm talking about insane kind of behavior. I remember being at the Priory. I remember bring, being there and thinking, maybe I don't belong here. Uh, I have to use that because really, it, it was like, maybe I don't belong here because I was looking at the, pe- the behavior of the people that were around me and thinking, oh my goodness, they're mad. They're crazy. But I completely forgot that I was crazy too. I was insane. My mind was fractured. The hardest part about this fractured mind is that it's difficult to know where it begins and where it ends. I, I'm still trying to put pieces together. So you could, you could say I'm bitter about a lot of things. In my mind, I believe certain protocols should have been followed and certain people should have behaved in a certain way. But in reality, I shouldn't be the one to speak because I wasn't the one that was dealing with it. I was the one that was on the other end. I was on the opposite end of the madness, opposite end of the delusions and the hallucinations and the punctuations. So you can imagine that I I will probably hold some of this bitterness so close to me and I remember um, when I was having conversations with my brother and he was bitter like in a massive way it was he was so bitter about how he was treated by family by friends by lovers or whatever it is that you call it but 
I think what you fail to see when you're in that fractured mind is that your behaviour is so out of the ordinary that it's discombobulating for these people who you're having to they're having to deal with you. I recorded myself quite a lot, so I was able to watch some of this, which brought tears to my eyes, which made me cry. So I can relate to some of what my brother would have been going through. And especially the moments where he was shocked. I can imagine the confusion because in all earnest, you believe what you're doing is right and you believe you're above the law. You believe you are better than everyone else. I Obviously, I have no idea what bipolar is like, but I know during the manic moments, there's a lot of similarities to the mania that you get from psychosis. The delusions of grandeur, they... Uh, God-like feeling that you have, the, the fact that you feel like you are connected to a higher power of some sort. So I can imagine what he must have been going through because I honestly believe I was receiving messages very close from a, a God-like figure. I have no actual insight to what actually God looked like but what I do have is an insight into what my mind was telling me in what God's like so the question is how did I get here and how did I get to the point where psychosis so they say to me that the psychosis itself was caused by a medication, a steroid medication called prednisolone. And this is an anti-rejection drug which you're supposed to take um, as part of uh, your anti-rejection medication, especially when you've had. So you, you have a high dosage of it. Now, I've had prednisolone before and I remember my ex-partner telling me that when I was on it, I, my behaviour changed and I never used to believe it. I never used to believe it and I've been on high, on high levels of it, up to 40 milligrams a day. What I do remember is when I was coming off of it, the thought of coming off of it was terrible because my mood would completely change would swing because one thing that that medication did was give you a high level of energy so i remember like speech patterns are fast work like a madman in the gym for example um i mean the side effects are quite surreal as well in terms of you can you can feel so powerful and yet this the same medication gives you an intense high sex drive and the same um, medication can also um, mess around with your natural production of um, 
testosterone and and obviously your mind becomes reliant on this drug which is a life-saving drug and yet it's poisoning you so my the consequences of my um psychosis is that it's led me to depression i've never suffered from depression before not like i've suffered in led me to anxiety and so i went to speak to my consultant recently because i said i'm getting tired of these levels of anxiety these levels of depression because i can really feel high one day and the next day i don't want to get up i don't want to do anything so creating um a life that has um uh, a cre- a creating a life that has meaning creating a life that has um know-how creating a life that has some structure is so important having a journal for example being able to write your thoughts and how you're feeling is so important and the reason i really want people to listen to this podcast because i genuinely believe and especially in david herwood's book maybe i don't belong here there's an element of um a fractured mind is not that far away um and and is atypical with black people or black men to be exact what i've found is for example if you listen to my accent now it's not the accent i was born with i've had to assimilate a certain way of speaking so that's a different personality i have and having worked in the police for over 14 years as a police officer i had to assimilate a different persona um i was in a space where i was always a minority whether it, it was with my colleagues whether it, it's with my peers whether it's with members of the public and the amount of times that you get denied let's say by a member of public and the member of public would say to you I would like to see a real police officer or or an English police officer or for example in my case I've had situations where I've gone to a job and I've been in plain clothes I've introduced myself as a police officer shown them my warrant card and I've had a conversation with the individual and then to hear on the radio of um a man that turned up pretending to be a police officer with a uh, what looks like a police badge um is in the area so we need to look out f- for that where essentially I've had to call back and say actually this was me I was at a job and this person is talking about me uh, you know it's I've had to respond to where I'm walking in a neighborhood in full police uniform with a hard hat um most proud moments of my life patrolling on foot and it's come out on the radio that there's a black man impersonating to be a police officer where a car has driven past three or four times just to make sure that before they made the call they were right in making the call and the call has come out and I've had to say 
that I was actually the person that was on patrol on foot, for example. But these are the things that you live with. Or oh, for example, you go to a job and there are over 200 police officers and if you look around, there's no one else that looks like you. And being in a country that's foreign to you and for me, for example, not living in London, living in the counties where I'm constantly a minority and there's so many things that remind me of the fact that I'm different. I therefore have to assimilate all the time. I therefore have to almost pretend to be someone else. My politeness level has to be heightened. For example, if I'm walking in the road and I see a, a two, one, two, three people walking the opposite, the, the other side of the right, and, and I would cross over the road to just stop them feeling uncomfortable. Or if I was walking behind someone and you could straight away see that this person was anxious about me behind them, I would slow myself down so that I didn't quicken my pace so I could free them from the fear that they had of me as a black individual, a black male. And this coincides with, as a 12-year-old, going into shops in London being followed around, being in a library, being in a shopping mall, being followed around by security because I wasn't trusted enough. Or as a police officer, being stopped by other police officers in my neighborhood because it looked like I didn't belong there. The consequences of all of these things, having to prove yourself to your partner, not just her, that just trying to explain to her that life is different for me and life will be different for our children. And then having to convince the family side of my partner that I am okay, I'm a good guy. I'm not going to cause any problems. And having to justify myself when my voice is raised, my hands are moving, a lot because I'm quite an expressive individual. What you find is that this then causes you so much anxiety that you don't even know who you are anymore. And because you don't even know who you are anymore, you somehow create a split personality. And you might think that, oh, well, you know, maybe you're talking twaddle, but I guarantee you it is something of only what I can describe as an intense feeling of rejection in every single element of your life. And then there are the comments, whether you're at work or people say that or is it true is it true what is it true about and you know that they're talking about your private or your whatever and and they're asking to see whether there's a truth and where people quite openly approach you and gone you know can we see it can we have a look and 
and just sort of ask yourself questions does this happen to everyone does this happen to everyone so you're in this society where like for example if you're a single black man you become paranoid a lot because even trying to get into a relationship you have to consider the fact that you could be someone's fetish rather than someone who's seen as a potential lover you could be seen as that and even if someone was interested in it because you're in such a minority they have to think about the the fraught decisions that they have to make for example introducing you to their family or their friends sometimes it's a little bit just too difficult it's too difficult for them to even consider the hurdles that they'll have to go so so there's elements of this that people say love is love what well, is it really you know whether it's a homosexual love whether it's um uh is um a straight relationship well love isn't love when you're a black man in a society where you are a minority because you don't even know where you belong and one of the saddest things i've come across obviously trying and attempting into appearing into the dating world uh at uh, middle age and you are finding that some people from my own ethnicity black in ethnicity women the moment they realize that you have been with a white partner they they look at you and basically the word that comes out of their mouth is oh you're one of those but what one of which which one am i and the other question that comes out is are you woke enough are you woke are you a seller you've sold out by being in a relationship with someone who's not black someone who's not african so these are the conundrums that you face as a person and if you have a business there's always a trust issue where you could be seen as someone who is almost prejudiced as someone who maybe is not trustworthy because or some people who are um or black individuals uh, have been obviously um prejudiced to have been you know um members of um um fraud organ- organizations you know not going to be the part the bush because for example a lot of nigerians are um are fraught against with regards to um fraud in terms of you know the emails that used to come out back then I don't know whether that still happens so there is that and there's also the fact that if you're in a work environment you find yourself having to work twice or even sometimes more than twice what your colleagues might do because you're working so hard to prove yourself and 
and this can be something which for me can put a lot of stress on your mental health even in a relationship a lot of black men are seen as not to stay in relationship so you can find yourself in a situation where even if you're not in the right relationship you're focusing on working on a relationship which isn't exactly working for you but just because you don't want to turn into a statistic of another black man leaving his kids and moving on to someone else or that stereotype that most black men are cheaters or they cheat on their spouses etc so these are the fights that you have to keep fighting on a daily basis as a black man as an individual of black descent whether you're african or african-american whether you're black or british born you feel a sense of not belonging anywhere um, i remember a situation where i'd moved into camberley a predominantly white neighborhood myself and my daughter who is of mixed heritage we're trying to go into a pub and how self-conscious we felt the moment we walked in so much so that we had to walk out and this is not the first time this has happened to me it's happened to me on many occasions to the point where i chose sometimes not to go out to eat um or even on my own because you attract attention you know um going on holidays for example and you're having to be stopped and searched all the time i remember coming back from turkey and i was being searched and my wife was being my ex-wife was being searched at the same time and i think that was the first time she understood what it was like to be a black man because she had been searched for all the way in turkey and all the way back from there where she'd never searched been searched before and trying to actually understand that you know this is some of the consequences you have to pay for being in a relationship with a black man and all of these situations are haunting all of these situations are painful but you have to go on you have to hold your head high and you have to pretend that everything is okay and you have to keep on smiling and if you're like me who's a malawian who's taught to respect everyone to bow down and kneel to anyone who's older than you it's confidence destroy it com- completely demolition dim dim it completely deflates you it completely puts you in a place where you literally don't know where you belong anymore and if you're like me who's been in this country for 26 years and I've spent longer in this country than I have in my own country I've been in this country for 30 years in total which means I've only been in Africa for 16 years I don't even know where I belong so maybe I don't belong here but do I belong home in Africa in Malawi no I don't there is no health service that can save me there's no health service that can help me I'm a transplant recipient for goodness sake. These are the things that I have to deal with on a daily basis. 
these are the actions that I have to evade to not have a fractured mind. And then there's religion. Oh my goodness, there's religion. You're born into it. From Africa, you're born into religion. So much so that at some some place or another, you start to wonder where you fit in into that. What kind of God is it? Because if you look at a God, and if you look at Jesus, it's displayed as the white Jesus. And the only picture I have in my head of what God looks like is a white man. That's terrifying. Oh, I do believe in God, don't get me wrong. I believe in God, the maker of all things. I believe in Christ. He died for us on the cross, I believe in all of that. But the fear that all of this gives me, the designated fear that this gives me, the fact that even till today, I see police and I'm still anxious. I see police officers and I'm still anxious. I got pulled over I'd just my my marriage was gone, was in tatters. I just had my operation. I was coming from the movie theater. I was with my daughters who are mixed race, I'll repeat. And we got pulled over and it was a female police officer. And the way she spoke to me, the way she spoke spoke to me and I thought to myself that I've been on the other side but I would never speak to anyone like that it was hell my daughters couldn't even believe it they couldn't believe how I was spoken to but it happened I've been stopped a lot by police and I would like to know how many white people here in Surrey have been stopped as many times as I have. I'd really like to know. I'm interested in knowing. I'd like to know how many times all my friends, my, uh, my ex-partner, their families, I'd like to know how many times they've been stopped by police because I was stopped quite a lot. Obviously, I don't get stopped as much anymore now. Maybe I drive a respectable car. Maybe I look a lot older now, you know? Maybe I don't fit the profile. But all these things add up. That's why as a black man, you're so close, not far off from having a fractured mind. You've got to be mindful. You have to be mindful of your situation. The fact that I lift weights and I look on the larger side, I remember even when I was arrested and the time, the amount of police officers that were outside, if I remember correctly, it was quite a large number. I can imagine I was quite threatening in my psychotic state. I can imagine I was. So, there's that. But I tell you one, one thing which was really good when I went to the Priory, I, they sent me to Bristol and the majority of the staff there 
I would say maybe 90% were black. And that put me at ease. Can you imagine like, this most psychotic moment? And even when I was held at Farnborough Hospital, I believe I was there for three or four days until they found me in a bed. And that was such a horrible existence. Imagine you have a radio that only plays classical music. The whole room is white. There's a shower. No, there's no shower, but there's a toilet, CCTV in the room, and you're locked up and only visits you get is someone to come and feed you. Imagine how lonely that was, that was so painful. Makes me want to cry now just thinking about it. There was no beds anywhere. They were frantically looking for beds for me. And prior to that, they wanted to leave me on my own in some section house, in my suicidal state, in my psychotic state. Imagine what would have happened. I would have been killed just like my brother was. I don't doubt that a lot. I believe the only reason I didn't fight as hard as I could have is because I had this big scar for my operation and I was somewhat subdued by that because it was painful and I could feel the pain. And obviously in my subconsciousness, I was also worried about my healing process. So I come out from that psychotic mind, from a psychotic place, trying to find a place for myself in this world. And how does one find a place for themselves in this world? Because the world has changed. You know, I'm away from my closest family. You know, there's no good morning, darling. Good morning, sweetheart. There's no, hello, dad, how are you? How are you feeling today? It's a lonely place. But again, you don't want to get into a relationship when you're in this kind of state. Because you want to be ready by the time you get into it. You want to be able to be the kind of person that loves themselves and cares for themselves. You see, I'm quite passionate about mental health in a big way. So much so that I'm putting myself out here on this podcast. And I hope you do listen to this. And I hope you do share it. And I would like people to listen to this. And I would like this to go viral. Because this is an honest, honest assessment of what it's like to have a psychotic break. To have a mental breakdown. You see people walking around in Malawi, for example. They're put shit in their head, like, like literally on their head, like when I say shit, I mean like poo, and walking around, the, the mind is gone, they don't even know who their family is or the family is, this happens, but mine wasn't because I was abusing cannabis, it wasn't because I was an alcoholic, it wasn't because I was abusing some sort of drugs. 
this was from prescription medication but there has to be a precursor to this there has to be something must have happened to make my mind fracture to be separated to have three different personalities i'm told i use i was even engaging with dogs having conversation with dogs i was called i could get quite volatile quite easily i was very tearful i remember that i cried a lot i was very sensitive but thank goodness i have family thank goodness i have friends thank goodness i have god I put God number one now. I put love right at the top of everything else. Say love your God with all your mind, with all your mind, everything. And then love your neighbor as you love yourself. So I put myself first there. So if I love myself, then I can love my neighbor properly. It's important to put a, a pre put a message, a caveat on top of this. None of this is edited. None of this will ever be edited. This is the podcast that will be out here for you to listen. If you have an opportunity and you're listening to it on on Spotify, and if you've stayed with me this long, then I urge you, please share this. This is a real story, a human story. I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor of a psychotic moment. I'm a survivor of a mental health illness. I've gone through post-traumatic stress disorder, severe anxiety, and every single day I'm fighting, I'm holding on, I'm holding on to the ropes. It's a battle. It's a battle to make sure that I have my medication so that my organ doesn't reject. It's a real struggle. There's no colours here. You see my post on Instagram, I look like a, a happy chappy all the time. On Facebook, I look like a happy chappy all the time. But the reality is life is a struggle. We have to fight. We have to keep fighting. We have to battle our demons. However way you do it. For me, it's the gym. It's this. It's podcasting. It's journaling. It's listening to audiobooks, reading books, reading journals. It's a constant battle to be on top of your game. The next one for me is writing a book. Writing a meaningful book that people can pick up and go, I've learned something from this. And I believe I have. I have quality input on that. I think I have lived the kind of life that needs to be put on paperback, that needs to be put on an audiobook. So let me know what your thoughts are. And if there's any doubt in your mind that you're feeling fractured before it goes any favor, before you go get into a psychotic phase, before you get into severe anxiety or PTSD, speak to someone. Speak to a professional, seek help, it's important. Don't suffer in silence. There are a lot of places that you can get help from nowadays. Without favor ado guys, I'd just like to thank you for listening and have yourself a great day, great week, and I hope this time leading to Christmas, 
everything will be moving smoothly. Love you all. Peace. See you later. Bye-bye.